Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi, thanks for joining me. We are in a series of Finding Joy Again, and this week we're going to look at some of the things that keep us from finding that joy in our lives. Now, before we start, I want to mention remind you, if you don't already know, that we live in a motorhome in a campground, so you might hear something like dogs barking in the background or a golf cart going by, so I'm just giving you a heads up in case that happens. I'm doing this a different time of day than I usually do. Okay, so with that out of the way, another thing before we dig in, I want to talk real quick about the loss of hope because we can't find joy without hope. Feeling hopeless means we don't believe that joy is possible in our lives. We don't believe we can have a life of meaning and purpose without our child being here with us. And we know without hope, you just can't move forward. And I want to assure you that I thought those things for a while myself, that feeling like I don't know if I can ever get past this. I don't think this darkness is ever going to lift. I don't know how to live. I don't know if it's even possible to live a life that's worth living without my daughter here. And I want to say that also, I don't know a single bereaved parent who didn't feel that way, at least for a while, sometimes a long time. And some of us are in that place longer than others. And the thing is, I want that time for you to be as short as possible. I want to read something. I get emails from the Passion Translation of the Bible, and this was in one of them recently. It says, My promises are rainbows of hope that cover your life and declarations of truth that are greater than heartache. Your tears are liquid words that I understand and long to wipe from your eyes. Never doubt my conquering love for you. The beam of my love upon you is the light that guides, warms, nourishes, and strengthens. Turn your heart to this light, and I will pull the weeds from your garden that hinder our fruit. When you turn to me, I will accomplish what all your striving has not. I will change you from the inside out. I am patient and kind, and there is so much more compassion in my heart toward you than you have realized. You are not a disappointment to me, but a delight. Trust in my conquering love. And then it went on to share Psalm 23, verse 4, in the Passion Translation, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. I just love that, and I wanted to start this podcast episode out with those words. Hope is 
confident expectation. And I know when I say that, you might feel like, well, that's definitely why I don't have any hope, because I sure don't have any confident expectation. But the thing is, the seed of hope is already in you. It's in you. If you have Christ in you, you have a seed of hope in you. And it doesn't matter how deeply it's buried right now, it's there. And also his joy is in us. And we need to allow it to rise up in us. And as I was thinking about and praying about this podcast series, as I was first putting it together a couple of weeks ago, in my mind, and I believe that God gave me this picture, I suddenly saw a vine that was totally covering and choking something out. I, it was so covered. I couldn't even tell what it was that it was covering and choking out. And I knew that it was a picture God was showing me of, of some of you. And we need to get those vines off to allow that joy to breathe and to grow. And I believe hope is how we pull off those vines. So if you don't have your own hope, I want you to lean on mine, that it is possible to have hope again. It is possible to have joy in your life, and you will get there. If you don't believe it for yourself, I believe it for you. So let's talk about some of those things that strangle our joy. Obviously, this is a huge topic, but we're only going to pick a few here that I think are really important and hit most, if not all of us. The first thing, regret, shame, and guilt. These strangle our joy for sure. Now, I have a friend, BJ Jensen, and if you follow GPS Hope, you have seen and heard BJ and her husband, Doug. They have become precious friends of ours. Now, BJ lost a daughter in the womb through an emergency surgery that she had to have. It saved her own life, but it ended her daughter's life. Talk about feeling guilt and shame and regret, right? And then later in life, she had a son who died by suicide. And we know that's another huge area that can we can just carry the baggage of regret and shame and guilt. And BJ says that she spent the first few years focusing on the tragic moment that Jay died on the battlefield instead of the happy years Jay lived on the playing field. Now, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? And once she realized this way of thinking that she had, and she began to turn it around, not to focus on the event of the death, but begin to remember and focus on the goodness of his life, it began to make a change in her and began to allow that hope to come into her life and the, and the joy to have a chance to begin to grow and be nourished in her life. And also um, having a grateful perspective, which we'll talk about a little bit here and, and more in another episode. Let's talk about guilt itself first. Guilt is thinking that I did something wrong or bad. And we torment ourselves, replaying the what-ifs or the if-onlys, trying to blame ourselves for not doing something or seeing something or knowing something that we think we should have known or seen or done. Holding on to guilt is like carrying around a bag of rocks that weighs us down and it locks us up into an emotional prison. One of those questions, why didn't I? Well, because you didn't know. 
you didn't do anything wrong or bad. The if-onlys, all those things that we torment ourselves. The thing is, you don't know what you don't know. You didn't know what you didn't know. And you cannot beat yourself up about that. You cannot carry guilt for something, trying to blame yourself for something you did wrong or bad when you didn't know. Philippians 3.13 says, forgetting what is behind, and I am not talking about forgetting our children, that is impossible, but forgetting the guilt. Leave your guilt. Let it go. It weighs you down. It robs you of joy. Guilt serves absolutely no purpose in our lives when it comes to the death of our child. So release yourself. I give you permission to stop blaming yourself and carrying guilt for something that was not your fault. Shame. Shame is the disgrace we feel when we think we have failed. And there are studies that link shame to all kinds of negative behaviors, such as depression, violence, addictive behaviors, shaming ourselves leads to self-judgment and negative thoughts and negative behaviors. And you can probably raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. That might easily be you. And the thing is, you aren't, you weren't a bad parent. You did the best you could with what you knew. And all of us fail as parents. There is not a single perfect parent on this planet. We all mess up with our kids. We can all look back and say, I did this wrong and I did this wrong and I should have done this better and I should have done that better. It doesn't do us any good. You did the best you could with the tools that you had, the information you had, and you are still worthy of love. You are still worthy of living a full life while you're waiting to be reunited with your child. God doesn't blame you for what happened. Your child doesn't blame you for what happened. Stop blaming yourself and carrying the burden of shame. You didn't fail God. You didn't fail your child. And the only way you fail yourself is if you continue to choose to believe that, that you have done something shameful, that you think you have failed, and you deserve to be set free from shame. I want you to think about something. I have grown up being told that our sin separates us from God. God is such a holy God. He can't be around sin, and and it's our sin that separates us. But I have, in the last few years, begun to see in the Word that that isn't what separates us from God. I want you to think about this. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they were told not to eat, God came down into the garden looking for them. Now, if that sin is what separated them, then God wouldn't have come down into the garden. He couldn't have. He would have had to have stayed up in heaven and shouted down from them and maybe, I wish you hadn't have done that. I can't come down to you now because I can't be around sin. It is our rebelliousness. It's our pride. It's not believing his goodness and that he knows what's best for us. Those things create guilt and shame in our lives. And that's what separates us from him and from his love. It's not on his end. It's impossible to be separated from the love of God. The separation comes on our end. When Adam and Eve did that, they felt guilt and shame and they hid themselves from God. 
And that's what we do. We hide ourselves when we feel guilty and we feel ashamed. We hide ourselves. How is Satan able to come before God's throne to talk about Job? I mean, Satan is the evil one. That's where this all came from, right? So how could he be in heaven and talking to God before his throne if God cannot be around sin and evil? How was Jesus able to dwell among man on earth if he was totally surrounded by sinful people? We have verses like 2 Corinthians 5.19 that say that Jesus came to reconcile the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. John 3.17, he didn't come to condemn, but to save. It's not the sin that separates us. It's the shame and guilt. And I don't want you to carry any shame and guilt for any reason, including anything that has to do with the death of your child or the kind of parent you were to your child, anything like that. I want you to release yourself from any shame you are holding on to because it isn't yours to carry. Christ didn't just pay for our sins. Jesus also paid for our guilt and our shame. And for some reason, we don't have quite as hard of a time giving him our sin and asking him to forgive us and receiving the forgiveness. But We have a hard time releasing the shame and the guilt that went along with those things. But he paid for all of it. It's all on him. He already paid for the shame and the guilt. You don't have to keep carrying it. So let it go and lay it down. Literally, picture yourself lifting that shame and any guilt off of you and laying it down at the feet of Jesus where he already paid the price. He carried it for you already. You don't need to keep carrying it. Let's go on to regret. Regret is feeling sad or distressed about something that happened that you wish hadn't happened. That's pretty simple, isn't it, as far as a definition? And the thing is, that's all of us. Every single one of us have regrets. Things that happen that we wish hadn't happened. And as a matter of fact, I recently heard that regret is the number one emotion that Americans feel. Wow. Lot's wife looked back at her former life, and it killed her. Living in the past with regrets, it creates death in the present. God was there in your past. Christ already redeemed it before it was even your past, when it was still in your future, before we were even born. Christ redeemed our past the things that cause us regret. And when we live full of regret, it chokes out the joy that's in us. We can't change the past. No matter how much regret we have, no matter how much we wish we could, we cannot change the past. But we can grab a hold of how we are going to face our future, how we are going to go forward by letting go of the regret. Guilt, shame, and regret have been with us since the first man and woman that God created. And Adam and Eve are the first parents who lost a child when their son Cain murdered his brother Abel. You get to decide what you are going to focus on. What you focus on will grow. So don't feed yourself on dark and negative things. The things that you read, the music you listen to, what you watch on TV or on your phone, they need to be uplifting. 
You don't need to stay in the darkness and feed yourself with dark things because it's going to keep you spiraling under and it's going to keep you feeling hopeless and it's going to keep strangling your life and you won't be able to get back to a place of joy. Now, I personally, I have a playlist on YouTube that helps me with this. And when I feel myself spiraling down, I will pull up a playlist that I already have pre-programmed that I can begin to play those songs that will lift my spirit. God created music to be a pathway to the soul. And it's going to be a pathway to darkness or it's going to be a pathway to light and hope and the future that he has for you. We are going to talk about that in another episode in a lot more detail. Now, a lot of what I shared here just now about the guilt and shame and regret were taken from a talk that I had with Dr. Doug and BJ Jensen on this very topic. And I hope you go and listen to it. It's on the GPS Hope YouTube channel. Just look up Doug and BJ or type in shame and regret when you get to the channel, GPS Hope. And they tell an Indian legend about the good and the bad wolf that is very helpful. The whole thing is very helpful. I rewatched the whole thing before I put this podcast episode together. So you can find it on YouTube, GPS Hope channel, and look it up. And there'll also be a, a link for it in the show notes. Let's go on to just a few more things here. How about anxiety? Anxiety keeps joy from taking root in our lives. That's another thing. Anxiety is being concerned in a negative way about something in the future that we probably don't have much control over. Both fear and faith come from the same root. They both come from our thoughts and our emotions about the unknown future. I am either going to have fear and anxiety in my unknown future, or I am going to have faith that God is already there in my unknown future, and he's going to help me through it. So that means that we get to choose. Am I going to be anxious and worried, or am I going to trust that even though the worst possible nightmare has happened in my life, that God is still taking care of me and will continue to make himself available to be, it's my choice to let him, but to be a peace in my storms, or maybe we should call them the hurricanes of our lives, right? Philippians 4, 6, and 7 in the message translation says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Now, I said that faith and fear have the same root. They're not opposites. A lot of people think that faith and fear are opposites, but they're not. The opposite of fear is love. If we have fear and anxiety in our lives, it means that we're not allowing ourselves to be loved by God for some reason. And it could be because we're angry at him. It could be because we like that whole guilt and shame thing. We feel like we don't deserve God's love. But whatever it is, we know, you know, that fear and anxiety brings torment. But it is God's love that throws that fear and anxiety and that tormenting stuff out of us and away from us. So let God love on you. 
Go to a quiet, beautiful place. Don't take anything with you. Just lay your broken heart before him and let him quiet you and begin to heal you as he loves on you. Let him strip away those things that are strangling you and keeping you from having, even having hope that leads to joy. Don't do anything. Don't feel like you have to do things. Just be in his presence and let your heart rest in him. Look around. Let him speak to you through what you're seeing. He will do it. He'll minister to you, but you have to take the time to go somewhere where you can hear clearly from him and let him love on you. And a lot of times that means being out in nature in a beautiful place and just let peace wash over you. Let his love love wash over you. And that leads me to another thing here, not resting or trusting in God. We can't have joy if we're fighting the very one who wants to nurture that in us so that it can grow in us. And if you've read my book, When Tragedy Strikes, in there I give an illustration of, I, as I was writing this book, I thought about, I, I just saw a picture in my mind of a child who was angry at his father, and, you know, dad had to say no about something, and this child is just mad and upset, they don't understand, and they're, you know, flailing their arms, and dad picks them up, and this child is still, like, beating on dad, you know how they can do, just throwing their arms and their legs and kicking and punching, and eventually, as this dad continues to hold this fighting child, the child is just exhausted. He exhausts himself with the fighting. And now he can go limp in his father's arms and receive his father's love and his embrace. And I see us that way sometimes. We're so, we're fighting God so hard and he's the one that can help us, that can nurture us and give us the very things that we so desperately need in our place of grief after the death of our child. Wallowing in dark thoughts. I kind of touched on it a few minutes ago, but our thoughts affect everything. If you change your thoughts, you can change your outcome. I don't mean the physical, you know, tangible. I'm talking about the internal outcome of what's happening inside of you. And we do that by allowing our perspective to change. Our perspective is what controls our thoughts. Have you heard about the young woman who was talking to her wise grandma? You may have heard it in a different setting, but she was talking to her grandma about how hard her life was. Every time she thought something good was finally happening, it was taken from her. Her life was just one big struggle after another, and she just didn't know if she could keep going. And as this girl was just pouring out her heart to her grandma, Her grandma filled three pots with water, and in one pot she put some carrots, and in another pot she put some eggs, and in the last pot she put in some ground coffee beans. And in about 20 minutes, she turned off the burners, and grandma fished out the carrots and put them in a bowl, and she pulled out the eggs and put them in another bowl, and then she ladled the coffee into a mug, and she put all three of these things in front of her granddaughter. And her grandmother reminded her, that each of these things had been placed in boiling water. And she called attention to the fact that each of these items had changed in a different way, a totally different way. The carrots that had started out very hard in the boiling water had become soft. The eggs that were soft and fragile became hard in the boiling water underneath that shell. 
and the ground coffee beans actually changed the water itself, releasing a flavor and a fragrance from the water that it was boiling in. And I think it's pretty easy to see the analogy. Insisting on holding on to our pain, thinking that's what is keeping us connected to our child, it doesn't serve us well. Forcing ourselves to continue to feel guilty if we laugh or we feel happy without our child here with us, it's a burden. Believing that we're betraying our child if we don't keep their death in front of us with pain and guilt, it's a wrong perspective. And I want to suggest to you that maybe you're actually betraying your child if you don't move forward. Because honestly, I don't think that your son or daughter wants the boiling water that you've been placed in to make you become hard-hearted and bitter and an angry person, do you? Choose to fight for joy. First of all, you need to know it's not only okay to feel your feelings. I'm not saying that anything that you're feeling is wrong. You need to feel them and do your best to acknowledge them. Because if you don't, it can affect you not only emotionally, but physically. It becomes a a toxic poison in our bodies. How many, I can't even begin to tell you how many parents get ill with all kinds of sicknesses after the death of their child. Our immune system is compromised anyway. Physically, that happens to us in our grief. But when you add on the toxicity of hanging on to these negative emotions, makes it even worse. I highly suggest you get with other bereaved parents who've had the same feelings that you have and will allow you to talk about it. Grief support groups for parents are wonderful. It took me a long time to go to one because I just felt like I didn't want to be around a bunch of other people who had lost their child. I didn't want to do it. And the first time I was around a group of parents that had lost a child, it was totally the opposite. It was wonderful because I didn't have to explain myself to them and they knew they got it. And I really think that that's one of the best things you can do is to be around groups of parents who have lost a child. And I know that the first time or two you go can be really hard because it's it's almost like another slap in the face reminder that your child is really gone. And we don't want to believe that we belong to a group like this. We don't want to believe that we have a reason to, to be in a room with a bunch of other parents who've lost their child. But I'm telling you, after the first couple of times, you'll probably feel so relieved to be able to belong to a group that understands when absolutely no one else around you does. Another thing that can help as you fight for that joy is writing or journaling. And I know I mention this a lot. It is very helpful. But I know there are a lot of you that say, I wouldn't know what to write. I don't know how to start. People tell me that, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what to write. And so I actually put together, it's called My Grief Journey Coloring Book and Journal. You don't have to color in it if you don't want to, but it's got like 48 words in it that have to do with our grief journal. So you find the page that is just that thought or that feeling that that just speaks to you at that when you open the book and read it, if you want to color it, whatever. What I shared about anxiety was actually taken from that book. I color in my own book, and it's just a suggestion. It's called My Grief Journey, coloring book and journal for bereaved parents. 
parents. You can get it anywhere you get books, and we actually have one for kids as well because we had so many people saying, do you have something for kids? And so we have a My Grief Journey coloring book for kids. A mom and a child can color the same page, talk about that, that emotion, or the kids' book is for any loss. Sorry about that. <laughs> just threw that in there. wasn't in my notes, but I just wanted to let you know about that. And thankfulness also, journaling thankfulness. I know for a while it was suggested to me and it really helped where I had a journal by my bed and every night before I went to bed, I made myself open up that journal and write three to five things that I was thankful for that day. I made myself sit there until I could come with up with three to five things, even if it's just what I should be thankful for. Maybe I don't feel thankful, but in my head, I know I should be thankful for that. Write it down because that will start to awake something in you. It will begin to stir up the fact that we still have things to be thankful for and we need to do that to reawaken hope in us and to be able to nourish and stir up that joy that is in us. Hebrews 12 says, let us throw off everything that hinders. What hinders you from having joy? It's the heaviness of our losses in this life because grief is heavy and throwing off the heaviness of grief, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to miss Becca anymore. It doesn't mean not missing what I've lost in other areas of my life. Work through it, yes, but at some point it becomes my decision. It becomes your decision to throw off that heaviness of grief and run my race, run your race with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who shows us how to do it. The scripture says he endured the cross by looking forward to the joy that would be his. So if I can't seem to find that joy now, I can still run my race here by looking at all the joy that is yet to come. I want to read one more scripture to you, Hebrews 12, 1, 1 through 2, and this is in the message translation again. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. Wow, what a scripture when you read it in that translation. So who are you going to become in this boiling water that you have found yourself in? The painful grief of the earthly loss of your child? Hebrews 12, 2, it sounds a lot more familiar to many of us in, in the wording, for the joy set before him endured the cross. So my question is, what is the joy that is before you that will allow you to endure your cross? I want you maybe to write that question down. What is the joy before me that will get me through my time here on earth? And spend time thinking about it, praying into it, because if you don't have the answer to that, I promise you that God does.
I want to take a minute to let you know about an opportunity coming up. My When Tragedy Strikes Hope and Healing course, which is based on on the book When Tragedy Strikes, the course has three options. And the first one is a free mini course. It's actually module three of the full course. And it deals with us as a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. And these are all intertwined in us. And it's important to see how each one affects our grief, our body, our soul, which is our mind, our will, emotions, and our spirit. And it's important to know how we can strengthen each part of us to help ourselves on this journey. And I'm going to be teaching the mini course live in our When Tragedy Strikes Facebook group starting on Wednesday, July 1st. If you're listening to this the day it comes out, it's going to be tomorrow, which means you can ask questions as we go along because it's going to be live. I want it interactive. You can join in the conversation. So if you would like to join us, just go to gpshope.org slash WTS course. That stands for When Tragedy Strikes WTS course and click on the button that says I want to enroll. And then be sure to find the When Tragedy Strikes book Facebook page and request to join. Now there are three questions that you're going to be asked and if you don't answer those questions you will not be allowed in the group. You'll be denied. So be sure to answer the questions when you ask to join the group. I'm going to be on there each Wednesday live until we complete it. And the time's going to be different each week to give more of the students a chance to join in live. And this week, uh, Wednesday night, it will be 7.30 p.m. Central Time, like I said, July 1st. The link for both the course and the Facebook page will also be in the show notes. And the reason you are going to want to actually enroll as a student in the course is because there are things in the course that you will get on top of just the instruction that we're going to be doing live. So I hope you join me and I'm really looking forward to it. Let's go on to the birthday segment. We have almost 20 birthdays to share in July, but there's not a single one of them this week to announce on the podcast. So let me just say, if your child's birthday is in this coming week, I pray the memories will be warm in your heart more than they're painful and that you're able to celebrate well the day that your son or daughter came into this world. If you want us to announce your child's birthday and celebrate with you, I would love to do that. Just go to gpshope.org birthdays, fill out the form, submit it, and I will add your son or daughter to the list. Isaiah 61 says that God will give us the oil of joy for our mourning, that he will give us a garment of praise to replace the one of heaviness and despair. Psalm 30 verse 11 says, our mourning can be turned into dancing. We can have joy here in this life after the death of our child. And if we can't find it here, we will have it there when we cross the finish line and join our children. But why wait? Let's continue to fight together for the joy that is ours to have here in this life. I hope you join me again next week as we continue this series of Finding Joy Again. And until next week, remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.